Hi, this is David Flower, senior pastor at Grantham Church, an intergenerational convergent third-way congregation with the Brethren in Christ U.S., and located in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast and for following the sermons that I and many others preach at Grantham. This is a free podcast, and it'll always be that way, but if you'd like to give and help further the work we're doing for the kingdom, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you want to do that, you can do that by going to granthamchurch.org and clicking on the Giving tab. Whether you're a member of our church or you're listening as a parishioner, it's our greatest desire that you would encounter Jesus and be changed by the good news wherever you are. Anyway, God bless you, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Good morning, Grantham Church. Good to see you in worship. Thanks for joining us and via live stream as well. Uh, we are in our Lent series, the second Sunday of Lent, so the second message in our series, Seeking God's Ways. And here are our theme verses for our series in Isaiah 55, verses 6 through 9. Isaiah said, seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him now while he is near. Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God for he will forgive generously. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything that you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. In our Lenten series, Seeking God's Ways, we are exploring the higher ways of God so that we might repent of our own way, believe in the gospel, and ready our hearts for the cross and the empty tomb on Easter. Last Sunday, we looked at how we move from security to generosity. And in today's message, we're being invited to move from fear to compassion. As you'll see in your bulletin here this morning, in the second message, we're going to reflect on how the scriptures tell us that we were created by a forgiving God who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And it should come as no surprise that we see this most clearly in the person of Jesus who invites us to know his love and freely share his compassion with others as we testify to the goodness of God and the power of the gospel. But if we're going to embrace this higher way, as we'll see this morning, we cannot live in fear. So before we go any further, let's prepare our hearts to receive a word from the Lord. Pray with me. Father, we pray specifically now that you would open up our hearts to hear a word from you. Holy Spirit, protect us from distraction. Protect us from the evil one who would wish to come in and snatch away the things that you've planted within us. Give us the ability to believe this morning, the power to repent, the courage to follow you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. In his Brazos commentary on the Gospel of Matthew, the ethicist Stanley Hirewas, some of you know him, shares a story from the life of Clarence Jordan, who lived in Georgia back in the 1950s. 
He says this, Jordan led koinonia, a group of people committed to racial integration, living as an intentional farming community in America's Georgia. When his religious community experienced some legal problems, Jordan approached his brother, Robert Jordan, who was a lawyer, for help. Robert refused to give aid for he believed his helping koinonia might harm his law practice and his political aspirations. Clarence pointed out that the two brothers had joined the Baptist church on the same Sunday when they were boys and answered affirmatively the same questions about Jesus being Lord and Savior. Clarence's brother told him, I follow Jesus, Clarence, but up to a point, he said. Could that point by any chance, Clarence said, be the cross? The brother said back, that's right. I follow him to the cross, but not on the cross. I'm not getting myself crucified. Clarence said, then I don't believe that you're a disciple. You're an admirer of Jesus, but not, not a disciple of Jesus. I think you ought to go back to the church you belong to and tell them you're an admirer, not a disciple. Robert said, well now, if, if everyone who felt like I do did that, we wouldn't have a church, would we? Then the question is, Clarence said, do you have a church? Folks, this story challenges us in several ways. Obviously, it begs the question, are we willing to take up our cross and follow Jesus? Not just carry it, but be willing to get on it. Also, it challenges us, if the church isn't about embodying the faith and the love of Jesus, then we're not the church, amen? And we see also in this that fear keeps us from living into the gospel and into the compassion of Jesus. Think about this with me. I'm guessing you would agree with me that when I say that fear has a firm grip on many of us today, certainly for us Americans, that's true. In his book, Love Over Fear, Dan White writes, he says, when life is uncertain, when civilization seems unstable, fear is our first instinct. We huddle, we hunker down, we hide, we begin to hate the world. We seek the security of locked doors, gated communities, suspicious thoughts about others, talking through technology, impenetrable border walls, club memberships, and spending 500 billion annually on defense systems. I think Jesus knew something about us, Dan said, that we don't know about ourselves. We think and do a whole lot of stuff out of fear. And maybe you could add a few more things to Dan's list. What, what would they be this morning? What would you add to this list of things that we fear? What comes to your mind? Then ask yourself, why do we do this? What is happening within us that we act out of fear? If you would allow me to get nerdy for just a moment with some neuroscience. <laughs> Think about how the brain works, why this is happening. There are several parts of the human brain. Let's look at two, the amygdala and what is known as the prefrontal 
cortex. The amygdala is the center for processing and regulating strong emotions. For example, fear and anger, feelings of threat and danger and so forth. It is what is known as the fight or flight center. It was especially helpful, you know, in the Stone Age during the nomadic hunter-gatherer days when everything was trying to kill you. It was helpful. But notice, it is the most primitive part of the brain. The prefrontal cortex developed later and is associated with higher, more complex brain functioning to help us reason to solve problems, to control our impulses, to have empathy, practice patience, do theology, and so forth. This part of the brain is necessary for rising above our fears. But look at that picture there, almost like an invading army the amygdala is. But you see, lots of folks, they, they live out of their amygdala and it tends to hijack the rest of the brain because it takes intentional effort not to keep feeding it. Feeding it, what do you mean? Well, the reason we keep feeding it is because when we do it, it produces dopamine and serotonin, which work like a drug to reward us every time we give in to the fears. So it becomes sort of a high with it. And some of us live off of that. In this way, feed off of the fear. And folks, the media, and some politicians, not all of them, but some of them, and American corporations have figured this out. Well, what makes money? What increases ratings? What gets votes? Oftentimes, it's a steady diet of fear. Real, but more often than not, imagined. Is this resonating with you? So we really, really need to reflect on this and, and then remember that the most oft-repeated command in the Bible is this, do not be afraid. The most often-repeated command in the Bible. It's not just a problem for 21st century people. It is said over 200 times in the Scriptures, do not be afraid. That's because it's bad for you, right? As Paul wrote to Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. Therefore, if we're going to have any chance of surviving the hijacking of our amygdala and not be overcome by our fears, then we must change our thinking and change our modus operandi. Right? The place where we start then is with our portrait of God. You might not think that, but it is true. The place to begin is with how we see God. We say this a lot here at Grantham. The most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. So what does that concept look like? And what is your experience of that? We must see that God for who he really is and allow his spirit to transform us by that image and by a personal experience with this God. So who is God and how does this God change us and free us from our fears? You know, after having spent time with Jesus during his life and ministry, the disciple John wrote this in 1 John chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. I'm reading this from the message paraphrased Bible. 
says this, God is love. When we take a permanent residence and a life of love, we live in God and God lives in us. This way, love has the run of the house, becomes at, at home and mature in us so that we're free of worry on judgment day. Our standing in the world is identical with Christ. There is no room in love for fear. Well-formed love banishes fear. Since fear is crippling, a fearful life, a fear of death, a fear of judgment is one not yet fully formed in love. Maybe some of you learned verse 18 this way. The NIV says, there is no fear in love because perfect love drives out fear. Do you live with fear? John would tell us that God's love has not been perfectly formed in us. This is what we need. And this is why we need to look at the image of a loving God. And who is that perfect love? Yes, that's right. That's the right question to ask. It's a who, not a what, which is this perfect love. That perfect love is God himself. And so think with me how the Bible describes this God who is love. The Bible speaks of God as having compassion. I want you to think about this, this word, both in the Old and the New Testament. We see it in various places in the Old Testament, starting with Exodus 34, verse 6, as God has led his people out of bondage in Egypt. Moses tells us the Lord, that is Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God. Later on, Nehemiah would say in the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the temple, but you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Because of your great compassion, you did not abandon your people Israel in the wilderness. In Hebrew, the word rachum means compassion. The noun for that is rachamim, for compassion. Both words are related to the Hebrew word for womb indicating an intense emotion within God, like a mother's love for her child. You remember King Solomon once was faced with this issue of two women claiming that this was her child, and he put them to a test, said, well, okay, we'll cut the baby in two, and you can have half, and you can have half. And the real mother, as a real mother would, who feels compassion, would rather her child to live and so it became clear that the mother that said, no, let her have the baby was the one. That is a mother's love. And the Bible tells us this is God's love for us. A love like that. Compassion, the Bible calls it. God is deeply moved with affection toward his children. And can a woman, Isaiah says, forget her nursing child or show no compassion for the child of her womb? Even if they forget, the Lord says, I will not forget you. This is God. We see this even more clearly in Jesus, who is God in skin, God in the flesh. Look at what the New Testament says about this compassionate God. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, Jesus has been out teaching. Matthew tells us when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus was full of compassion. 
The New Testament authors want us to connect this with the same God of the Old Testament who, like a mother, has deep compassion for her children. And then Jesus tells a parable, which we referred to last Sunday, the parable of the uh, prodigal son and the compassionate father. Actually, we did that a few weeks back. Jesus says in this story, speaking of the father in this parable, filled with love and compassion, the father ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. This is the kind of image that Jesus wants us to have of God. God is the father in this scenario. In the Greek, we see the word is plognitsomai, which means to have compassion, but literally to be moved in the gut. Uh, ancient folks thought of feeling and emotion coming from the gut. You ever get nervous? It affects your stomach, right? Or, or fearful or anxious? It affects the stomach. And this is the way they thought about emotions, deep emotions. To act lovingly with empathy and affection. The English word compassion comes from the Latin compassio, formed by two words, com and passio, right? With, together, and suffering. This is what it means. Literally, compassion means to suffer with someone and enter into solidarity with their pain. And here's the parable that we looked at last week, the parable of the Good Samaritan. In that story we read, then a despised Samaritan came along and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. This is the idea from the gut to enter into the pain of the one suffering. This is why we often refer to God's love as a co-suffering sort of love. This is the compassion of God, folks. The compassion that God invites us to share. That's why beholding the compassion of God does for us. It compels us to act compassionately. We're not just bystanders. We don't just stand at a distance and say, oh, that's, isn't that so sad, right? It's not just thoughts and prayers. It's action, and it's acting compassionately. Author and pastor Frederick Buechner describes what he means to have compassion in this way. He said, compassion is sometimes the fatal capacity for feeling what it is like to live inside somebody else's skin. We should practice that more often, right? Just to sit, to imagine, to put ourselves in the shoes of others, especially if we're having a hard time loving them. Why might they be this way? Why might they be acting this way? So it's the ability to live inside someone else's skin, Beekner says. He says, it is the knowledge that there can never really be any peace and joy for me until there's peace and joy finally for you too. Folks, the compassion of Jesus. It's interesting to think of it this way, to think that this is how Jesus operated. When he saw the crowds and he had compassion on them, for they were like sheep without a shepherd. This is what we're saying. Compassion acts. Compassion gets involved. Compassion is motivated by love, not fear. You see, in order for us to access the compassion, we have to say no to the fear. We can't live out of the amygdala. We can't keep tapping the button. I, I was in the hospital once, right, where I had to stay overnight. 
and I, they put me in the bed and I had, uh, I had pericarditis. Some of you know what that is, the inflammation of the sac around the heart. And I had heart attack symptoms, very scary. And I was in my late 20s. So it's the one time I was in a hospital bed and I had this little trigger that I could push a button. What did it do? It gave me some morphine. Folks, that felt nice. But sometimes when we are listening to the amygdala, when we're doom scrolling, as they say, that's what the kids say these days, right? And we're tapping into all the media that, that exist for the sole purpose of getting, getting you to listen, to trigger the amygdala so that you get a dopamine hit. When we live this way, we cannot access the compassion of God. Our thinking shuts down and the fear center takes over. And so Jesus is inviting us as disciples to not give over ourselves into that way, but to resist it so that we can be compassionate as he is compassionate. To act out of compassion, we must experience the passion of God and ask the Lord to cast out the fear with his perfect love. And by the way, folks, we don't need to push that button. We have the Holy Spirit, God's presence with us. Jesus said, who is the great comforter. Feel the Spirit in your veins. A much better drug, so to speak. Therefore, I want to invite us this morning, Grantham Church, for you to do that very thing today by seeing God in Jesus, calming the storm in Luke 8, 22 through 25. You can watch the screen here or just close your eyes and listen to this story. And I want you, as you hear this story, not just to read it in its context and think about what was happening there in the boat this day. By the way, all well, not all of them, but most of them trained fishermen. And when they start, when the fishermen who are used to being on the water in a boat start freaking out, you might be tempted to freak out. But Jesus isn't. Listen to this story. Put yourself in the boat and imagine the storm, the waves, the wind being your fears. What are they? And hear these words. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and started out. As they sailed across, Jesus settled down for a nap. But soon a fierce storm came down on the lake. The boat was filling with water and they were in real danger. The disciples went and woke him up shouting, Master, Master, we're going to drown. And when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and the raging waves. Suddenly the storm stopped and all was calm. And then he asked them, where is your faith? The disciples were terrified and amazed. Who is this man? They asked each other. When he gives a command, even the wind and the waves obey him. This is the Lord that we worship this morning.
and the Lord who rides in our boat. That's right, because Jesus, full of faith and willing to share his faith for those who have none, not only has power over the storms as the Son of God, but also as the Son of compassion. I've not learned this any better than I have from Brennan Manning. Some of you know Brennan Manning, the author of the Ragamuffin Gospel. Rich Mullins named his band the Ragamuffin Band from Brennan Manning. We almost named our first child Brennan. Several years ago, I was listening to one of the few talks you can find from Brennan on YouTube one day and just, just wept at my desk as I watched and listened. And remember that as a pivotal moment in my life of experiencing, experiencing the love and the compassion of God. This is some of what he said. Brennan said, the compassion of Jesus is the compassion of Almighty God. And Jesus says to your heart and mine, don't ever be so foolish as to measure my compassion for you in terms of your compassion for one another. Don't ever be so silly as to compare your thin, pallid, wavering, moody, depending on smooth circumstances, human compassion with mine, for I am God as well as man. When you read in the Gospels that Jesus was moved with compassion, it is saying that his gut was wrenched, that his heart was torn open, and that the most vulnerable part of his being laid bare. The ground of all beings shook. The source of all life trembled. The heart of all love burst open, and the unfathomable depths of the relentless tenderness was laid bare. Your Christian life and mine don't make any sense unless the depth of our beings, we believe that Jesus not only knows what hurts us, but knowing seeks us out. Whatever our poverty, whatever our pain, his plea is to his people, come now wounded, frightened, angry, lonely, and empty, and I'll meet you where you live. I'll love you as you are, not as you should be, because you're never going to be as you should be. Do you really believe this, he says, with all the wrong turns that you made in the past, the mistakes, the moments of selfishness, dishonesty, and degraded love? Do you really believe that Jesus Christ loves you? Not the person next to you, not the church, not the world, but that he loves you beyond worthiness and unworthiness, beyond fidelity and infidelity. That he loves you in the morning sun and the evening rain without caution, regret, boundary, or limit. No matter what's gone down, he cannot stop loving you. This is the Jesus of the Gospels. As the Apostle Paul once wrote, nothing, nothing will ever separate you from God's love in Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, when you begin to really come into that love, and not just know God analytically or words on a page, but experience Him in your life, this compassion of Jesus for yourself, you will be compelled to live out of it, by it, and for the sake of others. And that high will be much greater 
than the dopamine rush that you get by watching Fox, CNN, MSNBC, or doom scrolling, any news outlet. It's then that you'll understand why Jesus told his disciples this in Luke 6, verse 36. You must be compassionate, just as your Father is compassionate. And it's why other New Testament authors wrote to the early churches saying some of these words. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. My wife said this so eloquently last night at the 180 Ministries fundraiser. God cancels no one. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Summing it up, be agreeable, be sympathetic, be loving, be compassionate, be humble. That goes for all of you. No exceptions, no retaliation, no sharp tongue sarcasm. Instead, bless. That's your job. Bless, Peter said. You'll be a blessing and you'll receive a blessing. Amen. Finally, here are some questions for reflection and to help us to respond to the Spirit. For we don't want to be passive receivers. Not just hear the word, but be doers of the word. Amen. Would you think about some of these questions? And I'll give you a moment to process and really listen for the voice of God and how the Lord is speaking to you today. Number one, what fears are robbing you of peace and stopping God's love from being at home and mature in you? What are those? Let the Lord identify those and help you. If you have a piece of paper and pen, you may write these down even. That'll help. What are the fears? Number two, how are those fears keeping you from being guided and led by God's higher way of love and compassion for others. Maybe you've not recognized it till now that this is, has some to do with why you can't extend mercy and grace and forgive folks so easily and why, frankly, you walk around with a, a lack of peace. You're in bondage to fear and desire to control. And the Lord wants you to give it up today because it's killing you and it's hurting him. Come into the freedom and the joy of the Lord today. And then number three, how is the Spirit inviting you to move toward compassion today? Remember, this is something we do. How is God calling you to act? It might mean going to someone in this room or in this church and saying, I'm sorry. I'll never forget, I've shared this story, I think, before when I was uh, fresh, 
freshly repented of my sins when I was 19. I dressed and looked a little different. You know, you remember the I Hate This Town t-shirt, you know. Had an earring, you know, a couple earrings actually. I went down one Sunday after church to pray at the altars much like this. And I felt this hand on my shoulder. It was a big manly hand. I thought it was my dad. I turned around. It was a man in the church who said, with tears streaming down his face, David, I just need to tell you that I'm sorry. I'm like, what have I done? Or what have you done? I have no idea. I didn't know there was a problem. He said, I have judged you by your appearance. And I'm sorry. Now, folks, here's, here's the thing. Confession is good for the soul, right? That's what, that's what the Bible says. It's what we believe. You could easily go on living in secret about things like that. But there is power and there is healing in voicing it. Even if the person never knew, God knows. It might not only bless them, but release the healing that you need in your life to act. That's why these things are here. That we can respond with our bodies, with our minds, with our hearts, and with our mouth. How is the Spirit inviting you to move toward compassion today? I pray that you will respond in obedience. Let's take a moment of silence and just listen to the voice of the Lord before we close in prayer together. God, what are you saying to us so that we can do something about it? Take a moment. Jesus, Son of compassion, we thank you for your love, for your forgiveness, for your grace. We receive that love of God today, that it might bring healing, your peace, joy, and freedom. We hear you, Lord. Help us to be faithful. Church, would you join me in this responsive prayer as we bring this message to a close? Your ways, O God, are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We seek God's ways.
Lord, move us from our fears and into the light of your loving compassion. As we walk with Christ on this Lenten journey, let us see your way more clearly and follow your way more faithfully.